Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 for our scripture reading today. Hebrews chapter 10. So we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 18. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or any other uh, offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before their altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies uh, that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he said, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity and this time to be able to come and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. For this chance to look into your word and learn a little bit more about how much you love us through this new covenant, Lord. Lord, how much this actually means to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Doug as he comes. Uh, give him boldness in in his voice, give him truth in his heart so that as he preaches to us, Lord, we may be encouraged, uplifted, and challenged, uh, and brought closer to you. Lord, we pray for the rest of our service today. Uh, We pray for all of the ministries going on, all of our Sunday school classes, all of those uh, hearts and minds and souls who will walk through these doors. Lord, we ask that uh, they would be blessed this morning to hear from you, to grow closer to you. Lord, we pray for this week as it is a a time of remembrance for those who have given their lives uh, in the service of this country. Uh, And Lord, as as we can oftentimes be very frustrated with our country, Lord, but uh, it still offers us uh, this freedom where we can come and worship you. And we are grateful for that. And we are grateful for those men and women. Lord, help us to remember them this weekend. Lord, help us to uh, have a safe and, and enjoyable holiday week, Lord. And, and at the same time, let us never forget you during this time too. Let us make you the center of our thoughts, the center of our hearts. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that we've been in the book of Hebrews for a while. And sometimes that can cause us to lose interest, kind of wondering, okay, Pastor, when are we going to get to chapter 13? Let's wrap this up. Let's get this done. It's almost like being on Route 81 on a Friday afternoon when everyone's trying to get home. When are we going to get there? 
Well, we will. This particular first 18 verses of chapter 10 is the ending of the, whoever, the author of the book of Hebrews. It's his ending, it's his argument that he's bringing everything back together. And then the response of that we will see on June the 11th, not the 4th. On the 4th at the church picnic, we're going to do something entirely different. Uh, and, and, and so we'll pick this, the rest of chapter 10 up on the, the 11th of June. But with that being said, too, I want you to understand that we're still in the section that describes the superiority of Jesus Christ as our high priest. Not only as our high priest, but also as our perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. Remember, this, the Hebrew nation at this time, the first century believers, are struggling. They're wondering, hey, we, what do we do? We, we, we don't go to the temple anymore. We don't, we don't see the high priest anymore. We don't know anything about the offerings anymore. Uh, are, are we mistaken? And so the author is making sure that they understand that the new faith that they have in Jesus Christ is well enough to carry them through the end of their own lives. And so this morning we're going to again pick this up, but prior to that I have a very special announcement for all of you that on June the 10th, that'll be a, a week from this next coming Saturday, uh, we're going to have a memorial service for Jim Yoakum here in the uh, sanctuary. And that begins at 11 o'clock. Uh, Jim is, uh, is uh, passed away back in November. And so Charlotte decide, uh, wants to have a memorial service for him on June the 10th. So if that starts at 11. Like I said, if you can come, we'd really love, I know that Charlotte would appreciate your presence here. With that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we've opened your precious word, and I pray that we have also opened our hearts to your precious word. May our ears be attentive, our hearts be receptive, with the desire to know you more, to come to the understanding of just how superior you are and you are still worth following. No matter what the world may be like, no matter what may come from the halls of those who make rules and regulations, that never changes, it never dims the fact that our Savior lives. And we stand upon his truth we proclaim it as well as we can and order that, O oh Lord God, by the power of your spirit, not only would you teach us, but then would you change us. Change us into the image of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And may we, O oh Lord God, be witnesses of that glory that you give to us. As we walk through these 18 verses, oh Lord God, I pray that you would bring to light the passage, the description of the passage. As we journey, oh Lord, may we again be amazed at how wonderful you are and we'll praise you. Again, Lord, we, we do remember, as Pastor Steve and as Daryl has reminded us, we do understand, we remember the fallen soldiers and the number of wars that have taken place on this earth. We remember them. Some of them, I'm sure, are relatives to us. Some of them are acquaintances of us. But we thank you, Lord, for their life that they gave, that we can still meet here this morning. So Lord, also allow us to remember your sacrifice as you willingly gave of yourself that we might have life. And it's in that that we praise you and ask you to teach us this day. And we'll praise you in your name. Amen.
You'll never find a person that is described as being famished. You'll never find that individual going to the bookshelf and pulling out a cookbook to peruse through the pages the fine, glossy pictures of desserts, of main dishes, of salads. Well, you might bypass that quickly, but you know what I'm talking about. And as the individual is reading the different, if you will, ingredients and the different process of completing that wonderful dish that's in this wonderful picture, he comes across words that are described as that which is roast, bake, saute, and cook. And you'll never find an individual that once he's finished with that, he closes it up and he says, wonderful. I'm satisfied. I'm full. Now someone passed me the dessert cookbook. Well, even that illustration falls short, but it's a pretty good description of what was happening in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is doing his best to tell the individuals that the old covenant, as far as the sacrificial system goes, is nothing more than a glossy picture in a cookbook that satisfies nothing. But at the same time, and we'll get to that, but at the same time, there's a usefulness in it. And we want to make sure that you understand how useful the Old Testament sacrificial system was and what it does even for us today. But in our pursuit, I want to cover three things. Verses 1 through 4, I want to cover the fact of it is, is what the Old Testament law system could not do and what it continually does. And verses 5 through 14, the longest section, by the way, that particular section deals with how Christ offered his own body, one for all, once for all, and free for all. And then verses 15 through 18, we'll see what the benefits of Christ's person and his work is for us even today. So you've got a short section, a long section, and a short section. And then at the end, we'll try to tie that all together with some application. What does it mean? Let's begin. Chapter 10, verse 1, gives us the thesis statement. The thesis statement is this. Since the law has only a shadow of things to come. In Mrs. Fink's English class at Lancaster Bible College, it was her chore to try to teach this individual that once graduated from high school, worked about 10 years in a factory, what a thesis statement is. The thesis statement is that upon which the author wishes to develop his main idea. And so here the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 1, he lays it out. Sometimes the thesis statement is somewhere in the middle of the book. Sometimes it's at the very end of the book. Remember John's gospel. His thesis statement is in chapter 19, where he says, I've written these things that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's his thesis statement. But we're fortunate this morning to see it in the first verse of chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews is trying his best to not only convince, but to encourage these first century, if you will, believer people who were wondering, is there any value? Is there any reason that we have left the Old Testament sacrificial system to hang on to Someone whom we've never seen. What's the validity of that? 
And so the author begins by reminding us what the law could not do, and it's this. It couldn't make perfect those who draw near by means of the animal sacrifices made over and over again year after year. It could not satisfy their longing for forgiveness. It could not in any way satisfy the totality of God's propitiation, which means the satisfaction of God for a sin offering. All it did was cover it. And you might remember, or at least I hope you do, from a few weeks ago, we discussed the fact that Jesus walked into the Holy of Holies by his blood, not with his blood, but by his blood, by which he satisfied the holy requirement of God the Father for the penalty, paying the penalty of sin. And so the writer of Hebrews is again reminding them that the old sacrificial system could not make individuals perfect before God. Now let's just stop there just for a second. Have you realized this morning that in Jesus Christ, you are perfect before God? Do you realize that? I wrestled with that as I was driving on Route 81. I, perfection at that moment of time was gone, especially above Clark Summit, where two lanes go down to one because they're doing construction. And everyone wanted to get where they wanted to be at the same time I did. I was not perfect in my own eyes. But through Jesus Christ, someone help me out here, through Jesus Christ, God sees us as perfect in him. I am thankful that I did not use any foul language, verbally. <laughs> but I sure am thankful that spiritually, in Christ Jesus, we're perfect. Because of his perfect blood that was shed for my sinful condition and yours, and it satisfied a holy God, whereby we stand before him, not condemned. And the writer of Hebrews is trying his best to make sure that these people understand that. Not only could not the law, the sacrificial law, could not make one perfect, but it also says it could not cleanse their conscience. They still walked away wondering, was it good enough? They still wondered what would have happened. And times at times it did happen where the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement one time a year only, he never walked out. Because God did not accept the sacrifice for his sin, let alone for the sin of the nation. And then everyone wonders, where do we go from here? What do we do now? How is it that we can rectify this? We can only do it one day a year. We can't go in there tomorrow. We can't wait and go in there next Sabbath day. No. So it's a whole year their conscience is wondering, what's the use of all of this? Imagine, if you will, a child born into a household with the proof that that child being born stated on a birth certificate. And as that child gets older, it gets into an argument with the parents. 
The parents and the child now have a breakdown in their relationship which does not precipitate them going back to the hospital to get another birth certificate to make sure that the one they brought back from the hospital is really theirs. No. No matter how frequent or how loud or cold those relationships were severed, there was never a legal need to go get another birth certificate to prove that this is your child. Now, that's what it was like in the sacrificial system. Well, you may be saying, how is that? Well, in verse 2, it says, If the law had been able to perfectly and completely deal with the relationship-breaking power of sin and guilt, there wouldn't have been any need for another sacrifice. But it always was. It didn't stop. And so the relationship was strained. All the guilt would have been gone, banished when the blood was spilt, forgotten when the sacrificial lamb went up in smoke. But in verse 4 of chapter 10, the author clearly presents a concise explanation for, this, for the thesis statement of verse 1. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Notice the word impossible. It's not improbable. It's not difficult. It's not unlikely. And it's not rare. It is impossible. It always has been impossible for the blood of the animal sacrifices to take away sin. That's what the sacrificial system could not do. Now let me tell you what it did do. It did this. In verse 3, the author says, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. They were always confronted with their sin. Now, the author is very cautious to not disparage the law. He, he, he's not doing that here. The sacrifices weren't foolish. They weren't meaningless. They, they weren't sinful. They were or sinful. They were, after all, they were decreed by God, given instructions to Moses to, in order to control, to guide, if you will, the nation of Israel. But the purpose of it, the purpose was that it would be a reminder of their sin and that they needed a perfect sacrifice that has not yet come. One author puts it this way. At no point did they feel that the price of sin had finally been paid completely. If they had, they would not have offered another sacrifice ever. After all, you don't keep on paying monthly installment when the mortgage on your house has been completely paid off. If the sacrifices did anything permanently, it was to remind the people of Israel of their sinfulness. There's another passage in scripture I want you to talk or turn to that we can read it together. It's in the book of Romans chapter 3. The apostle Paul gives reason also 
gives reason also, excuse me, for the purpose. Beginning at verse 20. It says, for no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who will believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The law. What it could do was remind us of what we could not do. Our sin was still available. Excuse me, someone asked me the other day that then what's good are the Ten Commandments? Aren't they part of the law too? I said they sure are. What good are they? Well, they point us to the fact that all of them we can't keep. And we need a Savior. Every single one of them. Remember, that's what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. He comes to him and says, what must I do to to, uh, gain eternal life? And Jesus said, do you know the commandments? Yes. Then he says, okay, the rich young man said, I've done all of that. Then Jesus said, okay, take everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. See, dear people, there's nothing that we can do to gain any righteousness from God, only if we believe in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, it reminds us that if we confess with thy mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so now back in Hebrews, we have the exact same argument going on. I'm not suggesting that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. You may take that for yourself if you wish. But what I am saying to you is what the author is saying to us this morning. Is that what the Old Testament sacrificial system could not do is it could not bring eternal life. But what it could do is remind us that we need eternal life. Because it points out our sin. Now to the longest section. Verse 5 to 14. One for all, once for all, free for all. Begins in verse 5, therefore. That, that would be a good Bible study for all of us frequently. If we would begin in Genesis 1 and go all the way to the end of Revelation chapter 23 and highlight or underline the word therefore. To realize that the previous statements, the previous thought of the particular author of that book is being capsulized in a central thought. Seeing that blood of animals and goats, bulls and goats cannot cause forgiveness of sin, therefore. Aren't you glad it's therefore? And he goes on to quote a psalm, Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. In which the psalmist in David's writing proclaims to God that I'm here to do your will. What do you want me to do? Equip me to do it. Fulfill it in me. And so here 
He's referring to Jesus who is the Christ because you'll notice when it says, therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said. We picked that up, that notion up by way back in verse 28 of chapter 9. That it talks about, so also Christ And so Jesus is coming into the world and he's saying to the Father, what do you want me to do? I pose to you a question this morning. What was the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth? And many of you instantly are going to think he came to die. Well, yes, he did do that, but that was not his purpose. His purpose was, as he even quoted, saying, I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. And the will of my Father who sent me dictated that I needed to die for those who are lost. And so Jesus, in in chapter 10 here, we're drawing our attention to the fact of verse 7. Then I said, see... It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. I've come to do your will. How precious that is to us. There was only one time in the life that's recorded for us in the scriptures where even Jesus was wavering on that a little bit. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if if, if there's any chance there's any way that this cup can pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. It was satisfied. Jesus Christ knew why he had to come. In fact, you might remember in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, that is Jesus, chapter 3, excuse me, as Jesus is standing in the temple, Mary and Joseph looking for him frantically, not finding him. Here he is teaching. And he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, which talks about the coming of the sacrifice of the Lamb. And Jesus even said, in this day, this has been fulfilled in your eyes. And he closes the book. Jesus had no problem in whatsoever to realize that the will of the Father was not to leave us in unforgiven sin, nor even in unsued conscience. He came who gave of himself that through his blood, by his blood, we may have eternal life. And all we need to do is believe. Believe. We can't add anything to it. We can't take anything from it. Let's believe in the finished work of Christ. Well, We awaken to the fact in verse 5 that ultimately as it begins, God is not satisfied with sacrifice or burnt offering. He's not interested in that. Uh, You already may be thinking of going back to the book of Micah. We're even there. Micah the prophet is writing when he talks about silver and gold he doesn't want, burnt offerings he doesn't want, But he goes on to say, what is it that God wants from you, old man? But to love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. So these sacrifices weren't doing all that they could do. There was one that was coming, and his name is Jesus. So for the purpose of eternal salvation... God took no pleasure in the endless life or the endless line of smoke ascending from the altar as the priest carried out the prescribed sacrifices. The passage presents compelling contrast between the two sacrificial systems. Under the old system, the shed blood of the burnt carcass of a beast brought no lasting satisfaction to God. The death of an animal on a physical altar for sins committed under an earthly covenant had no effect for the spiritual gift sin 
before a holy God. And when it came to the animal sacrifice, the beasts were, were offered against their will. At best, the animal would have been dragged or carried and it would have stood in front in, in, in ignorance and just submitted himself to the knife. In fact, under this system, even the worshipers bringing the animals or the priests presenting the sacrifices could do so without even understanding emotion or will. To them, it meant nothing. We're going through this monotonous thing. Here we go again. Here's an interesting quote. I don't know who said it, but I find it very interesting when he said, monotonous routines can reduce a meaningful right to mindless ritual. That even hits home to us this morning, doesn't it? Why are we here? Is it just a monotonous routine that we go through on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock? Some of you venture in two minutes before 9, that's okay. But on a Sunday morning, it's the same routine, isn't it? Got to get up, have a bowl of cereal quick, jam it down. Got to get to church in a hurry. Children, why aren't you dressed yet? Does this shirt match my suit, honey? I don't know. I don't care. Let's get in the car. We're going to be late. A monotonous routine can reduce a meaningful right to nothing more than a mindless ritual. The songs that we sing, we've all heard them before. I doubt there's any new song that's come our way. And we, we utter the words without even beginning to stop and thinking, what's, what's the word saying? Are they pointing to Jesus or are they trying to make us feel good? It can become a mindless ritual. And so, here's the contrast that we have recorded for us in this passage from verses 5 down through verse 9, which literally means that only by the means of the incarnation can Jesus accomplish the will of God to do away with sin. When Jesus wonderfully, miraculously showed up on earth one day in the form of a baby. And yet after 33 and a half years, at the end of it, he was hung on a cross. And we ask ourselves, what was the purpose of that? Well, the purpose of that is to Meet the demands of a holy God in order that to know and understand that by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the wonder of him offering up his own will to do the will of the Father, we have an advocate whereby not only do we have forgiveness of sin, but we have this wonderful relationship at a place that we look, we will look at later on in the scriptures, whereby we can come before his throne and cast our burdens there. And the writer of Hebrews is making sure that Christ essentially set aside the old inferior system of the law and its sacrifices in order to accomplish on behalf of humanity what no other human could have accomplished. And he did it by complete obedience to the Father. I've come to do your will. Jesus accomplished 
a completed cleansing, permanent cleansing, that could never have occurred under an animal sacrifice. But in verse 10, it says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One for all is he alone. He's the only one. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John tells us, is the only one who could satisfy the demands of a holy God. And he did it once for all. Never to enter again. He's never on the cross again. His work has been completed. And wonderfully, it is free for all. Free. The author reminds his readers that priests must offer sacrifices continually, and those sacrifices could never take away sins. In verse 11, look at it. It says that the priest stands daily to offer the laborious, bloody sacrifice over and over again. In contrast to the priest who who had to stand all the time, it says that Jesus Christ sat down. His is finished. And it's available for all. It's available for all. And as in verse 14, the writer puts it, for by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now Christ sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the time of his second coming. Oh, I wish you were with us this uh, past couple of Wednesday afternoons when we looked at Revelation 22 and 23. Oh, the joy of knowing what awaits us. Can I just give you a little snippet of what you've missed? Do you realize that the new holy city that is going to be created by God to be established on this earth as its capital is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and 1,400 miles high? And there's not going to be a single light in it. Sorry, Matt, we're not going to need PP&L, brother. I'm sorry. Because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he fills that huge cube. And it's only a city. It's the capital city of the new earth. But there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. There is no more need of sacrifice for sin. We can enter into that wonderful city any time of day and worship our God and serve him. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means. It's more than having our sins washed away. And I don't want to make light of that because that is important. But I want to tell you the life of an individual saved is focused on serving the one who saved him. Jesus Christ is worth serving, dear people. And oh, I can't wait to see what he has in store. In fact, the apostle Paul even told us That eye has not seen, ear has not heard yet what God has in store for those who believe in him. I can't fathom it. It blows my mind. And that's what makes God God. Because you never will. We're just going to enjoy it. The last part of what good does it do? What good is it? Verses 15 to 18. You'll notice in verse 16, God will put the law in our hearts and mind. 
Dynamically, you know what that means? If you don't know what to do, go to the one who can tell you what to do. He'll tell you. It's in the word. It's right here. If you don't know where to go, go to the one who tells you where he wants you to go. All of you graduate seniors, you may have an idea of what it is that you think you want to do. But let me ask you something. I think Pastor Steve, he hit it on this last week. You may think what, you want, what God wants you to do, but have you taken the time to ask him? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. It took me 10 years to get to that point. I worked in a factory. I was happy. I worked third shift, 1030 at night to 7 in the morning. It was great life. And God messed me up. Said, this isn't what I got for you. What do you want me to do, God? I want you to go to Bible college down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Well, God, if that's what you want, you're going to have to convince somebody else. Because that ain't going to be easy. Then I'm in Bible college. What do you want me to do? I want you to go to Portland, Oregon for two years. And I'll mess you up there too. So off to Oregon we go. Dodge 150 van pulling a U-Haul trailer. Off we go. Come back with a cat and a dog. Who'd have thought that? Anyway, he's going to put his law in our hearts and our minds, which helps us to say no to Satan. I'm not doing that because I belong to the king. You're just a prince. Be gone. You'll notice in verse 15 that the Holy Spirit testifies to us, that is to believers, that the new arrangement will put the law in our hearts and our minds. And this signifies an internal transformation with eternal effects. Our sins will be forgiven. And remembered no more. This new arrangement. Now made possible through Christ. Brings all the resources we need. Into the places. And places them within us. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you go from verse 3. Down to verse 8. You will see a litany of promises. That God says. I'm giving you everything that you need to live godly. And then he lists them what they are. Amazing. Not only that, but we get have a new ability to follow in Christ's footsteps to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. Which, by the way, is the least we can do. Oh, our time is gone. But let me just wrap this all up by giving you three application benefits. Just three. I promise, just three. One, in Christ, we can now live life, if you will, fully. Live life fully. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I must move. The second one. In Christ we can now live life fruitfully. Galatians chapter 2. Verses 16 to 23. We read the influence of the, of a, of the believer. As they walk in the spirit. 
They will be a conduit of her fruitful life, will honor and bless the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, in Christ, we can live freely, not hampered by law, not hampered by, if you will, do's and don'ts, rites and rituals, but according to Galatians chapter 5, we can live freely. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I leave you with this last sentence and we'll be finished. Christ has set us free. Why don't you live like it? Let's pray. Glorious Father, it is by you sending to us your perfect Son, who willingly gave of himself that he might die so that we can live. And oh, Lord, I pray that that would never become stale or secondhand news but that would become a vital part of our lives. We have been set free. And now you call us to live like it. We're free to worship you. We're free to serve you. We're free to honor you. We're free to tell people about how they too can be free. And may that be our passion, O oh Lord God, in these days that we are facing. And it will be for your glory we ask these things. Amen.